0: Hi, I'm Mark Rotterman. Coming up on Front Row, President Biden pivots to police reform, supply chain issues continue to plague America, and North Carolina employees step up to help in the classroom,
1: next. Major funding for Front Row was provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities, and by Funding for the lightning round provided by Body Knoll Foundation, NC Realtors, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, and Helen Lockery. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org frontrow front row.
0: Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Mitch Kokai with the John Locke Foundation, Robert Reeves, the Democratic leader in the House, Donna King, editor-in-chief of Carolina Journal, and Nelson Dollar, senior advisor, North Carolina speaker of the House. Let's start with President Biden's police reform agenda. Mitch, what do we know?
2: President Biden has been searching for another win really hard in recent weeks. So first, as he approached the one-year anniversary of his term, which was officially reached this week, and then also as the State of the Union address comes up in March, he really like something big to talk about. After the Build Back Better agenda stalled out, then we saw the pivot toward trying to get election reforms done. That ended up stalling out, and he got quite a bit of criticism of the speech he made about ending the Senate filibuster to try to get that to happen. Now it looks as if he is uh, turning his attention to issues related to police reform and maybe some executive actions on that front. It's not exactly clear what those actions would be because the Justice Department last year already made some steps in the direction of police reform with the end of uh, federal no-knock warrants and new restrictions on chokeholds. But whatever the merits of what's going to be discussed at this time, uh, the real impetus seems to be on trying to boost support among... Jumpstart is
0: a second term, second year?
2: Yeah, jumpstart the second year and also boost support among a real key part of the Democratic base... African American voters. The latest Quinnipiac poll had him at just 57% support among African Americans. That was down from about 78%, something he really needs to focus on.
0: Robert, your thoughts, my friend?
3: Well, I think that the good thing we've had in North Carolina is that we've had a lot of successful police reform here, and I really do think they can emulate that at the federal level. There's not an issue in anybody's mind. What would you mind. like to see? Well, I mean, I think some of the things you've already seen, like, you know, the banning of chokeholds, things of that sort and really I think just a more of a circumstance where you've got more accountability for whenever things happen, because I think the big problem you have is you have got a lot of great law enforcement people who want to keep their law enforcement great, but the problem is that they get hamstrung when they're trying to hold accountable bad apples. And I think more efforts like that, like we did in North Carolina, where you can find out who those bad apples are, keep them off the force or what police officers want, that's what the public wants. And that makes everybody happy.
4: Now
0: there is some pushback from police groups though, isn't there?
4: There really is. And I think that's one of the the signs of a good leader is being able to bring all those folks to the table and get a consensus. Uh, the uh, National Sheriffs Association, the National Police Association say they have not been consulted so far on or seen any sort of draft on an order and they would like to see President Biden include them and, and uh, show that you uh, that it's not mutually exclusive to be pro-police and pro-reform at the same time, and that they want to be included in the process. And you know,
0: I think what gets lost, excuse me for interrupting, sure. but 73 police officers were killed last year, it's, murdered.
4: It, it's important. And we're seeing, you know, that's what a lot of police officers are saying. Is this a war on law enforcement? And is he perpetuating it by creating this? You're either uh, pro-reform or you're pro-police. You can't be both. And uh, doing this through executive order indicates there may not be consensus available for what he wants to do.
0: Senator Tim Scott had a package that didn't make it through the Senate. Talk to us about that. Well, that's right. So Senator Tim Tim Scott from South Carolina
5: worked uh, with Cory Booker, Senator Booker out out of Maryland, to put together a bipartisan criminal justice uh, reform bill. They worked on that in the spring and in the summer. And then Democrats decided they didn't want to compromise on the issue. And they dropped it. So... Now, uh, President Biden is actually late to the game. Uh, As Robert was saying, North Carolina appointed a uh, community relations law enforcement and and justice committee. Speaker Moore did that. That broad bipartisan group actually put together uh, three pieces of legislation that that passed with broad support in the General Assembly. A lot of states have moved in that direction. Uh, Biden is actually coming late to the game. But if he wants to get into the game and if he's serious about working with both sides of the aisle, he needs to call Senator Scott to the White House and revive that legislation.
0: Mitch, wrap this up in about 20 seconds. Last word, please.
2: It's going to be very interesting to see what happens here. I think, as Donna alluded to, if this is done by executive action and it doesn't have bipartisan support, it's another effort that could end up falling flat.
0: Okay, I want to talk about the supply chain issue that continues to plague America's families, Donna. It
4: does. I was at the grocery store last night, and whether or not withstanding, there wasn't a gallon of milk to be had anywhere in the store. And I think that's one of the notable things that's come from the president recently is he said there's not empty shelves. And and the reality is people are seeing it every day when they walk in. They're not able to get the supplies they need. Uh, inflation is at a 40-year high, 7 percent in December. So even if they do have access to it, the prices have gone up uh, with inflation, and and it frankly comes across as tone deaf, even cruel, to tell people that what they're seeing isn't real, because they are seeing it. They're seeing that inflation hit their pocketbooks. It hits the poorest people first. And they're seeing that you know at the end of the month, they don't have as much money to spend. And that supply chain is playing a big role in it. And it appears that the president isn't willing to pull the levers at his disposal to smooth out the supply chain, to uh, deregulate some of the, the the ports and vaccine mandates on truckers and all of those things that would get our supply and our goods flowing. And to say that this is an elitist problem seems tone deaf again. So we're really talking about messaging. You can't spin your way out of 7% inflation.
0: Well, you know, there's vaccine mandate on truckers at the border, Mitch, is really impacting our ability for commerce between Canada and the United States.
2: Yeah, definitely in going both directions too, the truckers going into and out of Canada because if you are a Canadian trucker and you go back and you don't have a vaccine, you have to quarantine for 14 days, that takes a trucker off off the roads for, for a while when they need to be out there delivering the, the supplies. To me, this reminds me of another thing that, uh, that, that comes out often when we're in this show, and that is government standing in the way of the economy doing its job. When you have government regulations that don't seem to play an, an, a real role in promoting health and safety, but just find a way to block the economy from moving, that is the type of thing that hurts the supply chain.
0: You know, Robert, auto parts are a big problem right now, finding auto parts.
3: Yes, and, and I would agree with that. And I think on at the top of that, it, the finding of auto parts also shows you that this isn't a uniquely American problem. We're having this problem all over the world when it comes down to it. And I think what Mitch just talked about with how you're having problems with places like Canada and other areas that, you know, are that have different rules than we do about going in and out. What I have seen happen, and I was glad to see happen, is the U.S. government set up an apprenticeship program. And I think that's a good program to allow younger drivers to be able to cross state lines. Before, you had to be at least 21 to be able to cross state lines. Now we're trying to get that younger so that you know, more people can drive. But really, at this point in time, it's something we're going to have to figure out how to push through. I, I think it is Great very point. fair to say is that we've got to do something to get through this thing.
0: You know, I read the other day, Nelson, that farmers are really having a hard time finding equipment. Well, you can't.
5: So short-term, these issues are gonna take another two to three years to sort out. Long-term, supply chains are gonna have to get shorter. They're gonna have to get simpler. Manufacturing has to move back to North America, and that includes, you know, tractors and combines and and the like. Uh, And we need a completely new regulatory structure, especially in the area of transportation. For example, the United States has 15,000 miles of waterborne navigable waterways. That's more than the rest of the world combined, and yet we still bind ourselves to the Jones Act. That's a hundred-year-old protectionist law that keeps us from maximizing the most efficient and cost-effective methods of transportation, even within the United States itself. So those are issues as Mitch said on the regulatory front uh, and as Robert said as well, we need to fix and I wish the Biden administration would focus on those.
0: Okay, I wanna move on to talk to Robert about the state employees that are really stepping up to help out in the classroom during the pandemic.
3: Yes, and, and that's a real feel-good moment that's going on right now. What we've had is for the last two years, it has just been completely difficult. Well, I try to
0: for, give you the feel-good stuff. you
3: are a great job. <laughs> but it has really given us an opportunity uh, for state employees to be able to come in and supplement what teachers are doing because teachers are trying their best, students are trying their best, but, it, you know, the problem is we're not out of the pandemic, and so people get COVID, they have to quarantine, and that leaves us shorter and shorter. State employees, thanks to the governor, are going to be able to go in now and supplement this and help. And I, and I hope this shows us actually some long term solutions to trying to help. Because, bottom line, is we've got to keep kids in the classroom.
5: Is
0: this a long term solution, Nelson? No.
5: It's a good headline. A few f- folks will pick up some extra bucks, but it's meaningless in terms of moving the needle. Uh, the program. What needs to be done? Well, the program ends February 15th. So, um, the By largest what year. What needs to be done to help out in the classroom? What right needs now? to be done, what we need to do is remove the restrictions uh, on the cap. Uh, uh, the earnings cap that we have for state retirees. We also need to find a way to allow them to take any time that they are coming back working for the state or working for local school systems to be added to their retirement calculation. We have a fundamental labor shortage uh, that is not transitory. It's gonna be with us for quite some time. We're gonna need to change our policies to get our retirees back in the workforce, we could start as a state government with changing policies to get our state retirees incentivized and back in the system. Mm-hmm. Not a way in
4: here. you're really talking about tapping a tremendous uh, resource in the state reaching those people who are retired and and have got so many years of experience that they can come back into the classroom. That's an important thing. Uh, other states have also done this exact same thing this this week, New Mexico, Oregon, uh, Oklahoma. their programs last a little bit longer. But I think what we're also seeing is the lessons learned. That you're right absolutely keeping kids in the classroom is critical and that keeping them out of the classroom moving to remote school was tremendously costly for students parents and it was politically costly for those whose names were attached to it
0: some districts though, are bucking getting kids back in the classroom aren't they
4: we are seeing some of that and I think part of that is that there are there's some level of ambiguity there's a lot of mis- mixed messages this toolkit DHHS has uh, has put uh, rules out that they have not really set our laws or rules or guidelines are kind of ambiguous in terms of how f- closely schools need to follow it. Is that a lot of
0: mask mandates too? Am uh, it, it, it,
4: a lot of that is mask mandates. Mostly that's a local thing. But they're also talking about how long are kids out and how long do they have to be quarantined if they're exposed versus having symptoms. And these administrators are pretty much living day to day. They got to get through the school day. They got to get through the school week. They can't overanalyze this toolkit. They have to follow it for what it has on its surface, and this really requires clarification from DHHS. Let's
2: put
0: this in context.
2: This is a nice idea. It's good to do it, but remember, we're talking about state employees getting 24 hours of paid time for community service, so that's basically three working days, and they end up getting to keep the money that they make from the other job, but that's just a drop in the bucket for what's needed, and as Nelson alluded to, a whole lot more is going to need to be done that doesn't mean it's a bad thing it's just not going to solve the problem
0: well ground zero um, with the kids getting back to school and the mass mandates is virginia correct with yunkin uh, giving an executive order on that
2: yeah yunkin is really setting a, a lot of good markers on the on the ground for other governors to follow he's he is basically another thing about yunkin is he's following through on what he said he would do on the campaign trail People which is are a shock about that and, right yeah when when you actually do what you said you were going to do during the campaign it it uh, fools everyone. Robert, wrapped us up in about 40 seconds.
3: Well, what I would say though is that with everything that we've talked about, that's actually why I still think it's a good idea because we've got to figure out other things to do. And this helps us show other things to do, whether that be to change the cap on retirees, whether that be to bring other personnel, because sometimes teachers just need another body to help them. And so that, and I think that if we if we go in too many times and just say, okay, well, this isn't a perfect idea, so we'll do nothing, then we end up doing nothing. I think uh, we should uh, always come in with a, an idea. But would we know. also say
5: that our, our, we also have the same shortage in the prison systems and in the state's healthcare facilities, which is where the majority of state
0: employees actually are. So those shortages are everywhere in the economy. Okay, we gotta move on. I wanna talk about party preferences. We've seen a Gallup poll. There's a sea change happening in America.
5: Yes, this week uh, Gallup released its uh, 2021 fourth-quarter survey of 12,614 adults, and it showed that 47 percent of Americans are now identifying themselves as Republican or Republican-leaning, and only 42 percent identify as Democrats or Democrat-leaning. That's a five-point advantage, which is the largest gap... Fourteen-point swing. It's a 14-point swing, and it's the uh, largest advantage that the GOP has had in 30 years. And it's a seismic shift, as you alluded to, Mark, from the first quarter of 2021, uh, when Democrats held a 49-to-40 advantage. It's a 14-point swing. And it was the Washington Post, of course, that pointed out, uh, based on this survey work, that the democrats have really not been successful so far this year of making republicans toxic that's been much of what well, they've Trump's tried out of the to game do right now so well of. he is <laughs> voters you know from a voter perspective um, they are focused on biden they're not focused on on trump so and okay. biden is of course continuing in the other surveys that came out this week with the the year anniversary of, of biden right uh, Looking at his uh, approval ratings and those are now averaging real clear real clear politics
0: have those down to 40.9% Mitch is this a referendum on Biden's uh, First
2: year, I think in some ways it certainly is these numbers are cyclical. They're going to switch back and forth But the timing is bad a year ago right after President Biden got elected the numbers were pretty good for Democrats now uh, after he's been in office for a year and people have seen what he's done, the numbers are much better for Republicans. That's a bad sign for Democrats as they get closer to the midterm elections.
0: Robert, can Democrats rebound before the midterms?
3: I have no doubt the Democrats can rebound before the midterms because just like Mitch said, this stuff is cyclical. And, and, and the other thing was well, cyclical, rather. Right? <laughs> but the other thing is, is that people are frustrated right now. We're still in this pandemic. We've still got all these issues we've just talked about. We've got inflation and all these type of things people need somebody to blame and need somebody to be upset with. And that tends to happen, and so what tends to happen is well, whoever is perceived. the buck stops received,
0: the of office, right? Right,
3: and that's what I'm saying. What tends to happen is that that's what people look at. Now, at some point in time, I believe that when voters get out, they start, I, I just actually believe politics local. And I think voters start voting up ticket more than they do down ticket anymore because I think all the noise coming out of Washington, nobody likes anybody in Washington at this point. But I do think that people pay attention to their local Folks, and that's how they decide what they're gonna do when they're voting.
0: Donna, a stunning number I saw in the Gallup poll, 25% of uh, uh, independents only approve of uh
4: Job and I moment. think that's the big number. That's His the one that a lot of folks are focused on. Uh, that independent voter, which more and more is a millennial age voter. That's a swing voter. Um, it's a swing voter. Now, tra- traditionally that voter has identified more on the left, uh, but they are moving more to the right. And this is really seismic in that it's the biggest swing we've seen for the GOP since 91, which actually was during the Bush administration and the Persian Gulf War. So if you picture, if you can remember what that was, and, and some of us still do. Uh, that's a big swing. And, and that shows that, that that was a big time for Republicans. This is a big time for Republicans. But that independent voter, can Democrats convince them that the GOP is, uh, is as Nelson put it, toxic? And it doesn't appear that that message is landing with them. And they really focused it on January 6th. And now this, these election bills that have definitely stalled on Capitol Hill.
0: You know, quickly I see Republican consultants think they can pick up about 45 seats in the House. You agree with that? Yes, Sean Tren, who does analysis for rear-clear politics,
5: is saying by his models, Republicans, if these trends continue, pick up four seats to five seats in the U.S. Senate and upwards of forty-five to fifty
0: seats in the in the U.S. House. So it would be seismic. Okay, we gotta move on. Let's go to the most underreported story of the week, Mitch.
2: Three different lawsuits are blocking voter ID in North Carolina. We know that the U.S. Supreme Court is about to hold hearings. hasn't been scheduled yet, but it will be soon on whether the legislature can intervene in the federal suit. Meanwhile, there's a suit that's already at the state Supreme Court that deals with the uh, the constitutional amendment guaranteeing voter ID and the future of that. But the big action and the reason for the underreported story is in the third suit. This is the one in which the law that was passed to implement voter ID was thrown out by a three-judge superior court panel on a two-to-one vote. Two Democrats didn't like it. The Republican did like it. That happened in September. The court is, the case is in the Court of Appeals, but now the people who won at the trial court level want to move it to the state Supreme Court. I think they think the numbers are better for them there. They also want just Justice Tamara Barringer to recuse
3: herself.
0: You're the official court reporter for Front Row. Robert.
3: <laughs> Unreported, I would say is Wilmington has been a set of multiple top movies lately. And so the film industry is roaring back. And that's a big deal because I remember in 14 when we kind of killed the film industry in Wilmington. So I'm so glad to see it for Wilmington and for North Carolina.
4: Donna. Uh, so this coming week is National School Choice Week, and the underreported piece of that is Governor Cooper, who actually has resisted some efforts that would be beneficial to the school choice movement, lifting the cap on charter schools, opportunity scholarships. He has been a pretty vocal opponent of s- some of those measures. He actually issued a declaration recognizing School Choice Week. So I would consider so that has a... has he
0: changed his tune?
4: You know, I don't has know. Has there been
0: any other uh, comments by him on School Choice? He really choice?
4: hasn't. And truthfully, that declaration hasn't appeared on his official website so it really not that you're checking right? Not that we're checking but I I would consider it a victory for the school choice movement if they can pull over the governor it may be that he's looking at poll numbers that say North Carolinians generally between the magnet programs and opportunity scholarships and all of these uh, charter schools that the poll numbers are in its favor
0: It is extremely popular with the electric mom and dads isn't it?
4: It is particularly now after we've had the school closures uh, for kids for whom their traditional their local neighborhood community school isn't working for them it gives them some options to customize their child's education. Are
0: more of those folks turning to charters and private schools? We
4: are seeing an increase in folks looking at alternatives, and some of those are public schools, charter schools and magnet programs and, other, and others, but people are turning more and looking at all of the options. And that may be that technology means you may be able to homeschool uh, online more often. You may have groups coming together to educate their children together, but that traditional public school, whether it's charter, magnet, or a neighborhood school, school the majority of students are still going to those.
5: And more money for opportunity scholarships. And more money for opportunity
4: scholarships in the budget, yes. Okay.
5: Political legitimacy. Uh, People have been talking a lot about threats to democracy, but the greater threat is the government's legitimacy. Even a superpower like the Soviet Union fell when it lost its legitimacy in in America. Uh, Question of legitimacy is on the rise. In 2000, uh, Democrats said that the Supreme Court elected uh, George Bush in 2008. Uh, President Obama's citizenship was questioned. In 2016, it really got on steroids. Uh, Trump's win was attributed uh, to collusion with the Russians. And then, of course, in 2020, Trump supporters have attributed Biden's victory to voter fraud. So unfortunately, uh, this week, uh, President Biden said that the Democrats' elections bills, if they didn't pass, that the midterm elections will not be seen as being legitimate. This is a fundamentally dangerous path that both sides are traveling and both sides need to steer the nation back away from the cliff. It's
2: not helpful. Let's go to the lightning round. Who's up and who's down this week, Mitch? What's up is the number of directed grants in the state budget. We heard a report in a committee this week that there are more than 900 of them totaling more than $2 billion. Now, these are grants that go to counties and cities and hospitals and nonprofit groups. But the previous high apparently was 13, went from 13 to more than 900, that means that the General Assembly is having more direction on where particular pots of money are gonna go. Down, trees in Charlotte. Back in 2012, uh, trees apparently covered 49% of Charlotte. It's now down to 45%, and that was enough for Charlotte to put more tree protections in their Unified Development Ordinance.
3: Robert, who's up and who's down this week? Up is Jennifer Muntz. She's uh, been appointed by the North Carolina Commerce Secretary Sanders to be the Assistant Secretary for Clean Energy and Economic Development. We're very glad for Jennifer. And down is blood supplies. The Red Cross has said that there's a real shortage of blood, so if you're out there right now and you can go donate, please go donate because we need it.
0: Donna, who's up and who's down this week?
4: Uh, up is new businesses in North Carolina, actually. the 178,000 new businesses, which is a uh, record high, up 40% from the year before. And I think what it really speaks to is that when folks started working from home and they started uh, seeing online what they could do and they realized that, especially if you have a small interest in opening a small retail business, uh, you don't need as many as much square footage as you used to with curbside pickup and delivery. So I think it speaks really to our entrepreneurial spirit and the industrial of North Carolinians. Okay, down? My down? Uh, The state health plan, actually. The U.S. Supreme Court has decided not to consider an appeal of a lawsuit uh, that would be from uh, from folks who want the state health plan to cover what they call gender-affirming treatments.
0: Nelson, who's up and who's down this week?
5: Up is a barrel of oil. Uh, This week, the price of oil, both Brent and West Texas Intermediate, reached seven-year highs. Both are headed toward $90 a barrel. That means we're going to see prices at the pump
0: continue to go up. We're going to see $100 a barrel oil.
5: I think that a lot of analysts believe that we will get to $100 or more a barrel this year. And if you see Russia invade Ukraine, oil will spike uh, even higher than that. And it's also gonna impact um, uh, food prices as well, who's down. China, with their failure of Sinovac, China has been left with no choice but to lock down ports, cities, um, the the supply chains. That's not gonna change anytime soon. Um, uh, We're also uh, likely to learn down the road that China's had far, far more deaths from COVID than what's been reported.
2: Headline next week. New House Committee studies an education system for North Carolina's future. Interesting idea.
3: Headline next week, Robert. Hopefully North Carolina is turning the corner on Omicron hospitalizations and infections.
0: There's gonna be a pill for that from Pfizer,
3: right? There seems to be something coming out. More therapeutics headline
4: next week i think the debate over mask mandates in school is going to heat up because on january 24th virginia uh, is moving all mask mandates to mask optional even in schools
0: they're going to be fought on that as we discussed earlier headline next week more bad news on the economy okay how bad is it going to get well, we'll see. But, you know, consumer prices come
5: out, job reports come out, all of the end of the year, fourth quarter uh, GDP growth
0: will come out this coming week, and a okay. lot of it's going to be bad. Great conversation. We've got to roll. That's it for us. See you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend.
1: Major funding for Front Row was provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Koo Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Body Knoll Foundation, NC Realtors, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, and Helen Lockery. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.